Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. We're going to keep going in our uh, series here in a book of Luke. I started a couple of weeks ago. And as I keep telling you, I am not. I had someone ask me, they missed a, a week and they, they were wondering if they had missed some of the messages on some of the temptations. I said, I didn't cover them all. And that's why I keep telling you, I'm not going to cover every single verse in the book of Luke. We're going to kind of skim through. Some chapters we'll spend more time in. Some chapters we'll more skim over. Um, but we're just going to work our way through. My goal is to get through Luke in, in a matter of, you know, a number of months, not a number of, of years. And so today we're still in, in Luke 4 because this first chapter, uh, we skipped the first three just because of Christmas. And, and we'll wait till, till it's Christmas time to do some of those. But um, but we, so we started in Luke chapter four and there's just a bunch of foundational things to the start of Jesus ministry, which is why we're spending more time in this chapter. But I'm going to read to you today. It's the healing of an, un, of a man with a, with an unclean demon. And, uh, and so I'm going to read to you Luke chapter four, verses 31 to 37, and then we'll get into this. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed already. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? The word amazed there, it's almost like it's tinged with fear. You know what? They were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? You know, it's interesting to me that often when people encounter Jesus, uh, that there's, uh, there's a fear. There's something about Jesus. He is so awesome. It's not a bad fear. It's like a good fear. Um, but it's a, it's, there's a trembling that comes with someone who's so powerful. And you see this throughout the Gospels. I mean, I think of the disciples, you know, that famous story. And we will hit it here in, in Luke yet. But we talk about it often. But, you know, the boat's in the storm. Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. The disciples are terrified. They wake up Jesus. He calms the storm with, with just a word. Everything goes calm. And then they're still terrified, aren't they? They say they're actually afraid. It's a different kind of fear now. And they say, what manner of man is this? that he can speak and even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so he's, Jesus is all powerful. He's worthy of worship. And someday we're going to know him in heaven. And it's, it's again, it's not a bad fear, um, but it is a good fear. It's a kind of fear and awe that, that makes you see something as uh, surpassingly worthy and beautiful and awesome and awe-inspiring. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to lift up your name today. All of our problems, all of our issues, all of our hang-ups and bondages, are, there's only one answer to all of them, and that is for us to give our lives wholly over to you and allow you to work in our lives. Would you touch us this morning? We just want to lift you up on high. We want to get to know you better. I want to get to know you. And I just bet your word would go forth today again with power and authority to change us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to notice, first of all, as I just kind of pointed out there, how Jesus was teaching. He wasn't just teaching uh, cute little sermons. It says, if I read those first two verses again briefly, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. He was teaching them on the Sabbath. So he's again in the church, right in the church of that time. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority, okay? So Jesus, his, his, his messages weren't known for being 
cute, okay? He wasn't known for having cute acrostics or really funny jokes. Not that there's anything wrong with those. I wish I could be a little better at them, uh, to be honest. But he, he, that wasn't what his messages were known for. And not that he will never have used humor. I have no doubt in my mind that, and when we listen to Jesus in heaven someday, which I can hardly wait as I tell you often, but I have no doubt in my mind that during his messages sometimes people were doubled over with laughter. Like I just, he's the king of the universe and he is the one who invented humor. I'm sure he had funny, but that's not what his messages were known for, okay? They were in awe because his word possessed authority, okay? And the contrast there is with the rabbis of Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the way the religious leaders taught was very different than that. Uh, it was all about quoting, you know, everybody was quoting different people and who was quoting who, like a rabbi would get up, they would read your verse, they wouldn't tell you this is what the verse means. They would say, well, this is what such and such a rabbi now says, and this is what this school of rabbis says, and this is what this rabbi 200 years ago says. And it was all about quoting different rabbis and different things like that. And then Jesus, so they're all shocked. Jesus shows up and he just preaches it the way it is. He says, this is what it means. This is what it is. Now, of course, he has an advantage because he's God. Okay, like, can you imagine if God was here, if Jesus was here in the flesh today to preach to you? Okay, the moment he opens his mouth, every single word, just think about this. Every single word that comes out of his mouth is instantaneously at the same level of authority as this because he is the word of God. I mean, so he just speaks. There's no, there's no opinions there. There's no, this is kind of what I think. And you can kind of take it or leave it. Everything he says, none of it is take it or leave it. It's all I speak I mean, I just wonder how much conviction to listen to Jesus pre preach a message. Like, I wonder if couples ever on their way, you know, there's a bunch of thousands of people following them around again. Maybe we should go hear them. And they wonder, well, do I really, you know, honey, do we really want to, do we want to go under that kind of level of conviction again today? Like, like, because every message, there would have been no cutesy, you know, well, you know what? That was a neat message. We can put that one on a shelf. Every word is straight from God to you. And it's eternal foundation of the universe, forever authority words. He preached with authority and boldness. And no doubt it wasn't a bad kind of condemnation. I'm sure there were times as everybody listened, his love will have washed over the crowds. And there will have been a joyful, you know, conviction at, you know, often. But it will have been conviction. He spoke with power and authority. But... The, the interesting thing is here, when Luke is talking about authority, he's not primarily talking about the kind of authority I just was talking about. He's not primarily talking about kind of a boldness, application, you know, you know it kind of sort of in your face straight to you authority that includes that. But more than that, Luke has in mind authority that is authority over even the spiritual realms when he spoke. And so we see that. So Luke says, you know, they were amazed at his, the way he was teaching. In verse 33, then he goes on to follow up and explain to us in his story now what that means. And so verse 33, and in the synagogue, there was this man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now there's three things I want to draw your attention to uh, here. And the first one is, it might seem obvious to you, you know, if you've come to this church for a while, and of course, Pastor Ray has taught us about this for years, um, but it needs to be said because we live in such a skeptical Christian culture and secular culture. But the first thing we have to point out in this story is that demons are real. Demons are real. See, in a lot of Christian, never mind our, our secular culture obviously doesn't believe in them, but many Christians today even have, uh, you know, struggle. They would be skeptical about the existence of the demonic realm and spiritual warfare. 
A lot of Christians today, we're very skeptical. Like anything about demons, that's a little bit weird. Churches that talk about that or doing spiritual warfare, that's kind of weird. That's unhealthy. That's for, you know, kind of more kooky people, a little bit mentally unbalanced maybe. That's more, because they're very skeptical, okay? But the interesting thing is, if, as we read through the Gospels, you're going to see, well, and if you just would read the rest of this chapter, I'm going to show you a couple of verses at the end of chapter 4, at the end of this message. Right after this, this time in the ser- this sermon in the synagogue, Jesus goes outside and he's healing all kinds of people. And it says that demons came out of many of them crying out, you are the son of God. And throughout the rest of the Gospels, he's constantly running into people with demons. So for our, for our skeptical Christian culture, then we're only left with how do we reconcile this? We're only left with three options. How does our skeptical Christian culture reconcile? On the one hand, demons is for weird, unbalanced people. Church, that's kind of strange stuff. And on the other hand, we read the Gospels, Jesus is running into demons all the time. How do we reconcile those two things, our skeptical Christian culture with what we read in the Gospels? Well, there's only three options, okay? The first option is maybe first century Israel just had a particularly bad case of demons. <laughs> and modern-day Canada just doesn't have such a bad case of demons. So that's one option, right? Because we, I mean, we have to bridge that gap. Skepticism with the reality of what we read, read in the Gospels. So if you call yourself a Christian, you believe what the Gospel says is true, you've got to find a way to, to reconcile those two things. So maybe, maybe first century Israel just had a bad case of demons, worse than what we have today. Or um, maybe since the New Testament was finished writing, all the demons retired and went on vacation. They stopped. They got tired of being bad and all that sort of stuff. It just kind of grew old and so they stopped. Or number three, there are still demons today and spiritual warfare is still very much a reality. Okay, because we, re- we have to reconcile those things. Other things have changed since the New Testament. You know, the demons stopped or they went on vacation, they retired, whatever that is. Or it's still real today. And there is still a spiritual world all around us and there is still such a thing as spiritual warfare. And if we're going to take territory from the devil, uh, we're going to have to confront them. Now, a uh, second thing I want you to Look, see, to notice in this story is that all of the demons, and you'll, at the end of the chapter two, they all recognize who Jesus is, which is sort of ironic because the crowds are in some ways skeptical. I mean, just the previous passage that we read in chapter four last week, that synagogue of people tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, so they don't believe he's God, okay? They don't believe he's the Messiah. Lots of people in this crowd are still trying to figure it out. And even today, in today's modern society, lots of people don't know who Jesus is, right? Atheists don't believe he's God, right? People of other religions don't. There's even many people who would call themselves Christians, theologically very liberal, uh, who would even perhaps doubt or debate whether Jesus is God. Lots of people don't know who God is, but the demons all know. But the demons all know. That's interesting to me. They spend their whole existence trying to confuse people about that fact, lie about that fact, and obscure that fact. But they all know. Every demon in the Gospels knows who Jesus is. I know who you are, he says. And Jesus tells them just to be quiet. And that's the third thing I want you to notice is that Jesus is not thrown off by this demonized man. Don't you just love Jesus? Can you imagine again? Imagine if right now, while I'm preaching, how would you feel? If one of you got up and just started yelling off and spouting off here in the service, how would you feel? Okay? That doesn't happen very often here at Southland. Thank you. Thank you all for being so polite, okay? Um, but how would you feel? I know some of you would feel awkward, some of you would feel frightened, and I would certainly feel both of those things, okay? But I want you to notice that Jesus is not thrown off. Man jumps up and starts yelling off, blah, 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 blah. You know, I know who you are. And Jesus just says, be quiet and come out of him. 
He's just fully in authority. And that's what's just so amazing. Look at this, verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You know, uh, you can fake to human beings, you can fake a measure of authority. Just by speaking with enough confidence and boldness and being you know, assured enough of what, of what you're saying or assured enough of yourself, you can fake to people that you know what you're talking about, that you have authority. But the thing about Jesus here is you can't fake authority over the spiritual realms. You can't fake making demons do what they don't want to do. You can't fake making a demon be quiet and leave when he doesn't want to be quiet and leave. This is real authority and it really awes the people and i want you to notice something else here and i'm going to spend a little bit of time here i want you to notice and this is really important jesus doesn't use a formula to get rid of the demon you notice that he doesn't use a formula he doesn't reach in the back pocket of his robe and pull okay what's the prayer for synagogue demons right uh what's the specific prayer i got to pray to get this demon out what's the name of this demon and how am i gonna, how am i going to cast him out he just speaks them in everyday language and just says be quiet and get out because the power is not in a formula the power is not in the words you say the power is in jesus and again this is an important contrast that luke is drawing with things that were happening in his day just like luke's making a contrast between jesus teaching with authority and the religious leaders of Jesus' day teaching more with quoting and stuff. There's also a contrast being set up here because in Jesus' day in first century Israel, they had these guys, and you're, well, I'm going to show you a story about them in just a moment, in Acts chapter 19, fun story. But um, they had these guys that their, their, sort of their job was casting out demons. Now, they obviously must have had some success. Like, I, there's questions I have when we get in heaven because I don't know how else they made their, their living, Okay. But they, in Jesus' day, there was these guys, and they would travel around, and their thing was, you know, if you got a demon, you know, you call 1-800, blah, 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 cast out a demon, and these guys come up, and then they, they, and then they would have different formulas and things they were trying, and different things they would say to get rid of demons, okay? Now, if this is not just from first century Israel. There's well-meaning Christians today that still believe in that kind of thinking, formulas and stuff, and I just want to show you that the power is not in a formula. If we go to Acts chapter 19, I will show you a story. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Let me just stop there for just a moment. Wouldn't that have been something to see? Like that would have been, that would have been fun to see. That would have been amazing to be a part of. God's power was just moving in a very unique and powerful and special way. Now in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So these are the guys I'm talking about before itinerant Jewish exorcists. Like, I just love that little, little title. Like, if they would have had their little business cards there, right? These guys traveled around, and, and they would charge you a little bit of money, and they would try to get rid of your demons, okay? And, uh, but anyway, it says here that they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I jury you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. So their thing was the formulas, the statements, the names, how you were doing this. So they see, whoa, this Paul guy, wow, he is good. So we're going to use, we're going to, we're going to add that into our formulas. We're going to have the name of Jesus there. And, uh, and we're going to say some of the same things that Paul says. And hopefully that's going to help us. Maybe, you know, this is going to give us an edge up on some of the other itinerant Jewish exorcists, right? This is going to be uh, helpful for the business. Now let, let's see what happens next. 
Verse 14, okay? If you could put that up there, Darlene. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, okay? But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Now I want you to notice this, okay? So these guys, they look at Paul. Demons are coming out over there. Wow, we're going to use that same formula. We're even going to use the name of Jesus, all right? Now look what the demons say. Jesus, I know, okay? Him, they all know. The demons all know who that is. He's the one who made them, okay? Jesus, I know. Now one step down. Paul, I recognize. We recognize Paul is with Jesus. They're not afraid of any humans, but they are afraid of Jesus. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. Look at this. But who are you? The demon doesn't care what they say. He cares who they are. Let me say that again. The demons don't care what they say. He cares who they are. Jesus, I know. He's the one who made the universe. Okay? Paul, I recognize. He's with Jesus. But who are you? Okay? It's a little like this. Uh, I, I was struggling to find some kind of an illustration. And, and uh, Matt, let, let, let's talk about border. Uh, yesterday, someone told me they're called border services agents. I kind of like border guard. Doesn't that just, but whatever. Um, Imagine you're, you know, you're crossing the border, you're going into the, to the U.S., or you're coming back or whatever, and when you pull up in the lineup to that booth, isn't it true that the guy wearing that uniform behind the glass has absolute power over your body and soul? Isn't that true? <laughs> For better or worse, maybe not your soul, okay? But you don't joke with them. You don't, you don't I mean, you maybe smile, but just kind of a nervous, nice smile. <laughs> Very meek. Because he has absolute power over you. When you pull into his domain... You are in his domain, okay? And so if that border guard or border services agent, if he tells you, I want you to pull your car over there, open up the trunk, and show me everything that's inside, it doesn't matter how he says it. Isn't that true? It doesn't matter if he says please. You say, well, actually, sir, you didn't say please. I says pardon. Right? It doesn't matter whether he says please. It doesn't matter if he goes off the script. It doesn't matter how he asks you. As long as you understand what he's saying, you just pull over, you open up your trunk, and you show him whatever's inside that he wants to see. Why? Because he is, when he has that uniform on and he's sitting behind that, that window in that booth, the full authority of the government that's behind the Canadian government or the American government or whichever country you're going into, the full authority of that government is now vested in him and he has the authority. When he speaks, then you must obey. Right? Now, if after you get through the border, now you're driving down the highway and a few minutes down the road, some random person is standing at the side of the road and they've written down, somehow they tape recorded or whatever, they wrote down exactly what the border guard said to you. And now they try to flag you down the highway and they say, you know, uh, sir, could you just pull over, open your trunk and show me whatever you have inside? I uh, know. No. You should not do that. Why? You know, kind of open the door as you go by. No, 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 don't be, no, no, we love our enemies. Veer around, don't do that, okay? Um, he's, but you don't do it. You don't, you certainly don't do it. Why don't you do it? Because there's no authority there. It doesn't matter the words. He can say the exact words to you that the border officer said. Doesn't matter because it's not what they say, it's who they are. And that's what the demons said here. They said, who are you? Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. He's with Jesus. But who are you? And what happens next? And a man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, 
And fear, look at this again, just like Jesus in a boat, just like Jesus in a synagogue, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extol extolled. Why? Because Jesus is the one with the authority. And the demons know it. And he has absolute authority. And right now, we're in a place in time where he is allowing human beings to make choices and to rebel against him. But the demons and everything in this universe ultimately come to his authority. And someday, it says in both the Old Testament and Isaiah and in the New Testament of Philippians, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Okay? Because he has absolute authority. He has created us. And, and, uh, and that's what he has. Now, the interesting thing is, that Jesus can and does delegate this kind of authority to his followers. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes my nephews and nieces send me emails with questions. And, uh, and so this week, one of my nieces sent me a question, and a really good question. She emailed me. She said, uh, why is it that Jesus gets angels to do things that he could just do for himself? Well, that's a good question, right? Why does Jesus? In fact, then that doesn't just go for angels. It goes for all of us. There's all kinds of things he could just do. He could just say, he could just do them. But why does he get angels to them? Why does he get people to do them? Why? And, and the answer basically is because that's what he likes to do. He likes to do it with people. He's so relational. And, I, and, and really, this isn't an appropriate term theologically, but I think it's, it, it's a good analogy. But in some ways, you could almost say, it, like, that's boring for him to just do it all himself. Okay? He loves to do it with. That's why he made angels and human beings, and everyone is different, and he loves to use and serve its relation with him. He loves to do it through people, and he loves to use angels and people to do those sorts of things. And the same is true even with spiritual warfare and the demonic. He can, as we see throughout the Gospels, he just commands and they obey. So he could just do all of it himself. But that's not as fun for him as it is to delegate his authority and have his followers and his sons and daughters engage with him in some of this, okay? And so I'll read you a story about this from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And uh, it says here in verse one, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, again, the same one of the things you have to understand, and maybe you're new to the Bible or the church or whatever. A lot of people think Jesus only had 12 disciples. Well, he had, the, there was a core of 12, the 12 apostles. But at any given time during his ministry, scholars tell us there could have been anywhere at times from 100 to 500 people that were following him around all the time. He had lots of disciples. He had a core of 12, but he had many disciples. And in this case, he empowers and sends out 72, okay? So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now I'm just gonna skip ahead. They do all this ministry and they come back. Verse 17, 22 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So the exact same authority we saw Jesus having over the demons, he delegates to his, to his followers, and they come back, and this is fun. Like, I mean, this is neat. We go into these towns, and we're casting out uh, demons. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, technically, this is a story about Jesus specifically delegating to 72 disciples. So the question could be, well, is that true of all of Jesus' followers? And if we go to Ephesians, we'll see a couple of passages, and we'll see that, yes, Jesus likes to delegate this authority to all of his followers. Okay, and I'll read you two passages, Ephesians 1, one from Ephesians 1, and one from Ephesians 2. And I've had to cut this one up a little bit. Uh, Paul sometimes prayed the longest run-on sentences I've ever seen in my life. And this is one of them, and I've even cut pieces out, but it's all one sentence. He must have run out of breath sometimes. But anyway, this is one of his prayers, okay? Ephesians 1, starting verse 16. 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he keeps going, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now look at this, far above. So we're going to see that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now the thing you have to understand is in Ephesians, especially in throughout Paul's epistles, but especially in Ephesians, whenever he talks about rule and power and authority, he is specifically talking about the demonic realm. Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and rulers, dark forces of the air. He's speaking about powerful demonic princes and strongholds and, and different levels of, of powerful demons and, and evil spirits that are in the world. And he says, Jesus is not just a little bit above them, he is far above them. And dominion and above every name that is named, not age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in the spiritual realm, the human realm, everything under his feet and gave him his head over all things in the church. Okay, so that part we know already. We see it in the gospels. I mean, Jesus is God. He's far above. He speaks and a demon just has to listen. Okay, he has that kind of authority. where it uh, applies to us now. If we go to Ephesians chapter two, verses four to six, but God being rich in mercy, Uh, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so again, Ephesians is very concerned with spiritual powers and stuff. has to do with this kind of theme of the book. But what Paul says is, now in him, when you give your life to Jesus, in in, in the spirit, in the spiritual realms, you've been seated with Christ. And in him, you are also above all those rulers and authorities and power and dominion, okay? Christ, not because of who you are in, in and of yourself. You have nothing as a human being of authority over the demonic realm. But in Christ, you now have in him, you have an authority. And again, it, it's kind of like if we go back to that border services agent, that border patrol officer or whatever uh, they, they wish to be called. But, um, you know, if you just meet one of them at home in their civilian clothes or at the supermarket, they have, they have no authority in and of themselves. But the moment they put that uniform on and then they go to work, they have that authority. Now the authority of the government. When you put on Christ, you are also putting on with him that authority and his authority is now vested in you. Okay. Now I should just take a moment and I should just say here that still it does matter how you live. It does matter how you live. Like technically anyone who gives their life to Jesus has this authority, but it sure, surely, I mean, we see that some Christians don't seem to have that authority and it seems like the devil forever given them a black eye and they don't seem to have any victory and all sort of stuff. Well, it would be like if that border patrol agent while he's on duty, duty, if he takes off his uniform and goes out to the bar and just starts living for himself and getting drunk and, and, and doing all those sorts of things, in that bar, he can't order, just go over to that bar and just order people around. It's when he's on duty with the uniform on. That's when he has authority. And it's the same when you put on Christ. Now, it's, I'm not saying this in the sense of, you know, taking off your salvation, losing your salvation. No, no demon can take that from you. And it's not something you can just lose, like by accident. But if you kind of, in a sense, take off the uniform in a sense of, I'm not living for him. And I'm going to just live for myself. I'm going to be drunk in worldliness and materialism, all these sorts of things. And you're just living for yourself you won't be able to experience that authority that technically is in you. And yes, the demons can't steal your eternity. They can't steal your soul. But they can stand there and give you a black eye. And you can leave your door open into your house and you can sit outside there and throw fiery darts of lies and condemnation, all kinds of things hitting your spouse and your kids. You can just leave the door open like that so you're not living in that victory. There's no question how you live matters. 
But it is also 100% true that when you bear the name of Jesus, that name has absolute authority in the universe over all the spiritual realm. And you are seated with him. So now the question is, in the last part of this message, is how do we apply this message? How do we apply this message? How do we apply, when we read passages like this, what are we supposed to do about them? So on the one hand, we've got skeptical Christians that just don't really, you know, even believe in the demonic and spiritual realm. We don't want to be that. On the other extreme is, like, is the application, we're all supposed to go home this week, and is the weekly challenge, everybody's got to cast out four, at least three or four demons this week from something in their house, okay? And then that's your weekly challenge. Is that what we do? Like, do we go home? Do we read a, you know, we read a passage, Jesus confronting demons, okay? We got to confront demons. And now, every time our kid has a runny nose or wakes up in the middle of the night, that's, you know, that's the demon of run, running noses. That's the demon of waking up in the night. Every time my kid has a bad dream, that was a demon. And demon, 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 demon. That's also an extreme, right? And nowhere do we see that in Scripture modeled for us. Nowhere do we see in Scripture modeled the, the disciples and Jesus going out looking for demons and, and seeing demons everywhere, and yet they did encounter them. So how do we apply this? And there's three things, okay? And the first one is, this is so important, and this is one that we usually miss, um, because when we read these stories, we read the stories with the demons, and if we're not skeptical, the first thing we try to do is we try to go home and, okay, where are the demons then? Like, we should be confronting them. But actually, the first application of this truth is trust Jesus. That's actually the first application. Every time you see a story where Jesus confronts a demon, the first application is Jesus now lives in your heart, which means you can trust him. You don't have to be afraid of the demonic. Because the one you see in these stories rebuking demons and they have to shut up and leave if he tells them to, no matter how he asks them, that one, the creator of the universe, now lives in your heart which means that the first application of all of these stories is you don't have to be afraid. You can trust Jesus and you don't have to be afraid of the demonic because if you will just walk with him, I'll tell you three things you can trust that Jesus is going to do. If there ever is a demonic attack against your family or against your life, you, if you are walking with Jesus, what do you have to be afraid of? You can trust that he will reveal it to you, that he will direct you what to do, and that he will protect you. You don't have to see that. The first thing is fear. When people mix fear with some of these stories of the demons, that's where you get weirdness. That's where you get formulas. That's where you guys, that, or not you guys, but that's where you get people praying certain prayers every night and they're afraid. Oh, I forgot to pray that prayer, baby, or I forgot to pray that prayer because they're afraid. Fear got in there and you don't have to be afraid. You won't find formulas in the gospels because they weren't afraid of the devil. He was there, but they weren't afraid of them. Why? Because the one who created the universe and who had you, he will reveal to you anything you need to know. He will direct you what you should do if you will just walk with him and he will protect you. Look at this promise in Luke chapter 10. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, speaking there of demons and stepping on scorpions and snakes. That's important, maybe for some of you. And over all the power of the enemy, and look at this, and nothing shall hurt you. Do you see that? And nothing shall hurt you. If you're going with Jesus, if you're obeying him and walking with him, he has the power to protect you. And even if a demon, you would, and even when or if you do encounter, then you can go in that power knowing that he's going to direct you. He's going to protect you from him. Look at this in Luke 4. If we go back to Luke 4, 
there's a phrase that I immediately, when I first read through the passage, I was like, oh, I've, I've got to highlight that at some point in the message. Verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him, so we're back in the synagogue, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him what? No harm. Even if you do come under demonic attack because you're taking territory for the Lord, he can turn those attacks for good. He can protect you and he can keep you from harm. The first thing we can do is we can trust Jesus, okay? We can trust Jesus. And I want you to notice something else here. It's really important. Um, I think some Christians out of their fear, you get this thing, it's like they're always trying to pre-bind spirits before they can do anything. So out of fear, you know, anytime before they do ministry or do anything, it's like, well, we first got to, and any spirit they can potentially think of, we got to bind that one, 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 okay? And I want you to notice here that Jesus, before he ministers in the synagogue, is not, okay, guys, give me some all the potential demons that could manifest today. And let's just bind them so I can have an uninterrupted, easy service. That's not what he says. Why doesn't he do that? Because he's not scared if they manifest. He just goes and starts preaching. And any demons in the area can't stand it. The heat goes up. And next thing you know, they're manifesting. Jesus says, be quiet and come out of them. He just handles it right there. And it comes out of them and takes the man, you know, and no harm comes to the man. Now, having said that, I mean, it's not bad. You might be praying and the Lord might lead you. Say, you need to bind such and such. You need to come against such and such. Absolutely. And there will be times God leads you in your personal life. There's warfare. Or before you do ministry, there's some kind of warfare he wants you to do. The point is that it shouldn't come out of fear or formula. It's not just something you do every time because you're scared if you don't, something's going to go wrong. It's something you do by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he, he leads you. You say, oh, okay, yeah, we've got we to watch out for this one, guys. I just feel like the Spirit's leading or whatever in my life or something like that. But not out of fear and not out of formulas. This brings up the second thing. So the first application is trust Jesus. The one who has authority over the demonic realm now lives in you. And he will watch over you and he will protect you. Here's the second thing, very closely tied to the first. Our focus should be on intimacy with Jesus that's what really scares the devil. So, where this, where, so on the one extreme, people just totally ignore the demonic. On the other extreme, I think that other extreme, it starts to get just a little bit weird, or even in some cases very weird. It really comes a lot out of fear, and it comes out of focusing on the devil rather than on Jesus. Nowhere in the Gospels will you, will you see Jesus giving fear messages about demons or to the disciples because the focus wasn't on the demons. The focus was on him. Here's the thing. The more you, the closer you get to Jesus, that's what scares the devil the most. Because he's not scared of you and your formulas. He just isn't. But he is scared of Jesus. So every time a human being starts to get closer and closer to Jesus, see, what, our focus is all wrong. Rather than being scared of the devil, we need to focus on Jesus and become, become the kind of people who scare the devil. Isn't that true? The closer you get to Jesus, you become the kind of person that scares him. Like Paul so close in fellowship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit so strong in him, demons fleeing, manifesting all over around him. Why? Because Jesus was with him. So important. Walk with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Memorize his word. Confess your sins. Come clean and walk with the Lord and love him and make your life. And then this brings up the third thing. If you make your life about ministry, then you're going to start to have encounters with the, with the devil. And I want you, this is such an important point, this last one. The vast majority of demonic encounters happen in the context of ministry because ministry is warfare. Again, one of the places where people go weird with all the demonic is, okay, I just heard about message. Spiritual warfare is, weird, or is real. They go home, 
And then is there, okay, is there a demon behind the crib? Is there a demon at nighttime in my dreams? And they're thinking, they're looking for demons all over the house and stuff. But if you read in the gospels, the disciples are not encountering demons when they go home for supper. That's not where we read about. I'm not saying it can never happen. And I, and I know people where they moved into houses and maybe there was occultic activity there before. And literally the house, there is some demonic stuff. And I've prayed over houses like that and different things. I know there's exceptions. But the vast majority, it's not when you go home and watch a movie with the kids. That's not when you are, should need to be thinking about demons. Um, where, where the demons happen is when you're taking territory from the devil. It's when Jesus is preaching. That's when demons are manifesting. It's when he sends out the disciples two by two to towns to spread the good news. Why? Because the devil's like, those people are mine. And now you're taking people that he thinks are his. Now you're running into the demonic. Ministry is warfare. And that's where you're going to primarily run into problems with the devil. I heard stories again this week. I've heard a couple recently of stories, just people right here in our church. And winning people to Christ from their families and workplaces and, and close friends and things like that. And it was actually warfare and demonic manifestations. Like you doubt that they happen today. They happen today, but they happen as the devil tries to keep people from getting saved. I think that's something we often don't talk about. I think the biggest battleground that spiritual warfare, normally when you hear spiritual warfare messages, you don't hear about evangelism. I think the greatest act of spiritual warfare is every time someone gets saved. Because you just, a soul is going from the devil's kingdom to the kingdom of light. That's where warfare is. Or where someone's coming out of bondage and the devil had a piece of their, had a piece of that territory. And he said, I own that. And now you go in there by the power of the Holy Spirit and you say, no, we're going to minister to this. And there's confession and repentance. That's warfare. And you're going to encounter the devil when you're doing warfare. And, uh, and of course, you know, dad has told stories and we've talked about, you know, Stefan and when we prayed, you know, for him and he was turning his life around and, some of the stuff that happened after and we were doing warfare over him. That's warfare. When souls are coming over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when souls are being set free from bondage, that's warfare, okay? And that's what the church is called to. The church is not called to weird warfare. We're not called as a church to go home and be weird about demons all the time. Like you don't go home and please, please, please. I, you know, most of you will get this, but some of you won't. And so I just have to say it. Please, 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 when you go home. You, if, not, if your kids are having bad dreams, you don't start casting out demons, Okay? Like, even if you think it is a demon, you don't go straight to casting out demons. You're going to freak them out, okay? So that's not what this is about, okay? The, the, the kind of church that God has called us to be is not a weird church that's looking for demons everywhere in bizarre places. The kind of church that God is calling us to be is a kind of church that is taking territory, that is winning lost people to Christ, that is bringing Jesus into our workplaces, that is setting the captives free, conquer seven pillars, eight pillars, whether it's sexual bondage, different addictions, where we're actually ministering to real people in their junk, middle school students coming to Christ. And if we are that kind of a church, we are going to run into stories like I've been hearing the last couple of weeks again of demonic manifestation because we're taking territory from the devil. And you know, the thing is, God has called us to be this. He has not called us, as Dr. Doug Weiss said, to be sitters. We have something the world needs. And Jesus is wondering sometimes, I think, when is his body? We are called the body of Christ, which means we're supposed to do what he did. And what did he do when he was here on earth? He didn't just sit around. He advanced territory. I want to read you these two verses right from near the end of chapter 4, verses 40 to 41. After Jesus preaches this message in the synagogue and casts that demon out of the man, he goes outside. And remember... Jesus is in his human body here at his first coming. And he, out of his love for us, 
wanted to experience everything we experienced. So he lived a, a, a real human existence. He was tired. Think of how exhausted he must have been during this story. He's been ministering all day. Now look what it says. Now when the sun was setting, he's been ministering all day. Now when the sun was setting, he's exhausted. All those who had any sick, imagine the lineups. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on everyone. Think of this. He didn't even cheat. Have you ever thought about how much Jesus loves people? He doesn't cheat. He doesn't just go, you know what? I'm tired, guys. You're all healed. Like he could have done that. Like just, you're all, we're going to just do a mass healing because I want some sleep. They're crowding in around him. He loves people so much. He says, I want to touch you and I want to touch you. And I want to touch you. And I want to touch you. That's his heart. He'll leave the 99 to go for the one even when he's exhausted. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And now this is warfare. People are getting set free of bondages. People are coming to the kingdom. And demons also came out of many. They can't stand it, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. That's the Jesus we serve but we are called the body of Christ. That's the kind of people we need to be. Well, it's not our goal just to be comfortable in life. Too many Christians think of the church as a cruise ship. We just got to be as comfortable as we can in life and just get through life and then we go to heaven. The church is not supposed to be a cruise ship. It's supposed to be a battleship. And we're supposed to be going off into the darkness, each and every one of us, not just the church corporately. We'll let the pastors do that. We're supposed to be going off into the darkness, taking people out of darkness and bringing them into light. And when we do that, we're going to encounter demons. But we don't see a lot of demonic activity sometimes in the West because a lot of, there's not a lot of territory taken. And the devil's not upset when he's not losing territory. So we are called to minister. We're called to reach out. We're called to be the kind of offensive church and people where demons are forced to manifest because we're taking things from them. So a little challenge here, different people here, you'll be at different places. And I think there's different things that Jesus wants to say to people here this morning. So we'll just let him speak and whatever the application is for you, it it will be for you. But there's different kinds of people here today. Maybe your application today is you actually just need to let go of your fear and unhealthy preoccupation with demonic. Maybe today's message, the application for you is just a load to come off through some teaching or misunderstanding over the years or, or, or modeling or whatever. You may be one of those people that just fears the demonic in everything and has an unhealthy preoccupation with the demonic. Maybe your application today is just letting go of that. I'm just, I can, I can trust Jesus. And when he leads me to do a little warfare, I'll do a little warfare, but I don't have to be afraid all the time of the demonic. Or maybe you're here today and you're that border services agent, you've got Jesus' name stamped on your soul, but you, you're not at your post. I'm not meaning you've got to be doing ministry all the time, but just in your life, you're not living for the Lord in ministry at all. You're maybe consumed by secret sins or bondages. And maybe, maybe, maybe your application today is the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time to get your house in order. It's actually time to get your house in order. It's time to come clean with that stuff that you've been hiding for years. And it's time to deal with it. You can call a pastor here. We'll get you connected. We've got all kinds of groups for every imaginable thing. But it's time to get your house in order so that you can actually become someone who can take territory from the devil. Or maybe you're here today and you've been sitting, you've been comfortable. You're maybe not in bondage, 
You've never really been afraid of the demonic. You've never really thought about it. But maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's actually time for you to go on the offensive. You were given one life here on earth before eternity. One little life. You only get to do it once. And then it's all of eternity. This one life wasn't for you to just live for yourself. You have all of eternity will be spent with Jesus and it will be amazing. Because you've been given this one life and I've been given this one life. And there are people in darkness and there's territory that needs to be taken. 14 middle school students saved this week, a bunch of recommitments. They need people who are going to disciple them and love them and just show up every week and show them that actually there's lots of adults, not just their mom and dad, in some cases not even their mom and dad, who love Jesus and believe he's real. They need people to disciple them. Kids with different. So maybe your thing is it's actually time for me to start to do warfare, to go on the offensive and be part of taking back territory from the devil. And maybe the Holy Spirit's saying to you, it's time for you to get involved in real ministry. Or it's time for you to reach out for, to a lost person, you know, just even this last week, and I don't want to share much, but the Lord just gave me this amazing idea in prayer. Just an act of generosity, but you can use acts of generosity. It's a, an adventure when you begin to listen to Jesus. He will give you acts of generosity. Acts of generosity can be for you begin to reach out to people in this lost and hurting world and maybe make a relationship and pull them into the place of light. Or maybe Jesus is just... It's telling you he wants you to bring him into your workplace. So I want you just to close your, your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. And we'll just, Holy Spirit, for each one of us, for each one of us, what are you telling us today? You don't have a heavy burden of condemnation on us today. Some of us, you just want to encourage, keep going. Some of us, you want to encourage, let go of that fear. Let go of those formulas. Some of us, you want to say, join me in the battle. Stop wasting your life. Join me in the battle. Whatever you're saying to each one of us, Jesus, I pray that you would drive it deep in our hearts by your Holy Spirit and help us to be this, become this kind of a church full of your word, our hearts and minds full of your word. And then on fire, going on the offensive, bringing you, you with us wherever we go and rescuing lost sheep from darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.